0: Welcome to Gen Z. Gen Z is Generation Crypto. These are the people who were raised on a different philosophy on how they look at money, how they look at identity, how they look at privacy, and how they reimagine their relationships with the communities and companies they interact with. We focus on how Web2 and Web3 brands are building for these audiences. I'm Sam Ewan from Coindesk and our co-host is Avery Akineni from Vayner3. Mm-hmm. All right, Avery, welcome back to our lovely show. So nice to see you. And we have a great one. I will say that this is a special week for us because not only do we have Gen C with an amazing guest today, but we are doing our first ever collaborative crossover episode with another amazing podcast called Overpriced JPEGs. More on that on Wednesday when that drops. But first, let's talk about what's going on in the world of Web3. and I would love to sort of one, just say, how are you? How are you doing? And then I want you to talk to us about magazines getting into Web3 because we saw another one come in recently.
1: Yeah, I'm great. I mean, Gen C is always the highlight of my week. I can't believe we're you know, closing in on March here. And I'm super excited for our double header this week of Gen C. Super excited also, you know, to those of you who are taking the time to listen to this. Thank you. I've been getting a lot of messages about Gen C from entrepreneurs and people who are in marketing. So it's nice to hear that people are getting value out of this. I love doing it. And it's so much fun to get to hang out with you, Sam, and hear from brilliant marketers and builders in this space. This week, it's currently February 22nd. There's a big announcement coming tomorrow from Coinbase that everybody is excited about. There's been a lot of talk in the sort of deep web three communities around what's happening with Blur. There's a lot of drama with OpenSea, but I think our listeners probably don't need to hear that. They are probably way more interested in some of the brands that we continue to see playing in this space and dabbling in different ways. So we've got a great guest coming on shortly, but we just saw some big announcement from GQ. GQ is, you know, joining the line of many other publishers to start participating in this Web three space. And in true publisher form, they kind of announced an announcement. They announced they're doing something, but it hasn't gone live quite yet it's a collaboration with some emerging artists in the web3 space and i know the publisher godfather keith grossman had a heavy hand in this we adore keith absolutely he's the best and i think keith like wrote the playbook of how publishers can think about entering the nft space in 2021 i do think it's 2023 and strategies need to evolve like you know i talk to my team all the time about this like our business has changed everything is always changing and I think some of the things that worked really well and were super salient in 2021 and breakthrough are not the strategies that we're seeing resonate in 2023. I am hoping for the best for GQ. I you know, love everything that they've done as a publisher. Publishing business is really challenging.
0: Tell us about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, as you know. <laughs> at Vayner, we have a publishing group as well. And there's so much creativity and genius that goes into this. And I think just the commercial models of the last decade have made it really challenging to figure out like, what's that next unlock? And many hope that that could be Web3. I want to give some flowers to Rachel Weber and her team at Playboy, because they were also very early to this. They launched the Ravatars program in mid-2021. They hired Jen, Decentralized Gen, as their sort of community manager. I got some of those. They were one of the first NFT projects to allow credit card checkout. They sold out. I think they had a huge financial windfall from that. And you know, now they've sort of evolved. They did something really cool with their centerfold product more recently that was kind of cool and I think a little bit more aligned to their brand. And I like how GQ is doing something that's aligned to their brand, but the thing that's in the back of my mind is how appealing this is to GQ readers, GQ followers, people who love GQ. I see a lot of these publishers targeting the NFT natives. And that's just a small group, right? Like you can win with them and we definitely see people winning with them and I think brands just continue to tap that audience, but it is not a bottomless pit, so you know it'll be interesting to see how this plays out.
0: Just to recap quickly, what GQ is offering, one, it's costing 0.1957, which I believe is the year they were started, but 0.1957 ETH.
1: People love a nod. Exactly. They love a nod to us. something.
0: About $300 right now. And with that, you get a GQ subscription. You get a GQ box, which is kind of a bunch of like lifestyle products and accessories. There's some exclusive merch. You get invited to the first GQ3 party in New York. And you get sort of founder status of being part of the GQ3 community. What I wonder about, and I think to some degree, Playboy suffered from the same thing when they launched, while being a very successful project, was both of these feel like it's kind of removed a little bit from their core offering. Whereas I think Time and Keith Grossman, what they were doing made a lot of sense because Time has always been in the business of photography and illustration and working with artists. For Playboy, what I thought was interesting is Playboy has this unbelievable archive, not just of images, but of amazing interviews with celebrities and recipes and drink, you know, cocktails and all of this stuff that I think could have been tokenized in a really interesting way for the consumer. GQ, getting a subscription is a lot cheaper to smell in the card than it is to get this. And I sort of wonder if they didn't really look through the lens of how do you create more value. They looked at what can we add on to make it seem valuable. And I think those are two very different things. And I think magazines need to figure out, publishers need to figure out. We have our own drop coming next week around our big event consensus. But you got to figure out, I think, how do you always be adding more value to your, your customer and also not trying to change a behavior? And I think that to me was the big lesson, which is I hope they're successful with it. You know, I'm a big, big fan of magazine publishing both digital and paper. But I think that this one feels like it might be a struggle to maintain in the long run.
1: Time will tell. You know, the fun thing about Web3 is that nobody ever has a crystal ball, things that people are, you know, fud hard end up crushing it. And then things that you think are going to crush, like, you know, they sell 200 units. So that's the fun thing about this game is that, you know, balancing supply and demand and expectations. You know, I'm a huge fan of open editions for this reason, because I think it allows creators to win no matter what. But yeah, let's see. In a few weeks, we'll know.
0: We definitely will. The next story, I think that is really interesting. And I'm going to be predictive here. I think the second half of 2023 and 2024 is let's tokenize everything. I think we are seeing this a lot in the financial spaces where the idea of tokenizing different types of assets and baskets of financial products are happening. We've seen people tokenize real estate. I believe it was California wants to put all titles for cars on chain. There's an article that just came out on Cointelegraph, which was all about that they are tokenizing artifacts from the Titanic. So there's 5,000 plus artifacts that are being tokenized so you can own kind of the digital. And they're really utilizing this actually to fund more Titanic research to be able to go down and discover more. And I think there's something to me that feels a little reminiscent of the conversation you and I had after the Super Bowl about people buying into royalties from Rihanna, where it's not whether you're actually going to make any money by owning a very small fraction of the royalties. It's your ability to say, I own a piece of the song by Rihanna in similar fashion. I think there are so many Titanic, like people who are obsessed with the movie, with the story, with the boat, with James Cameron's work on helping to restore all of the stuff.
1: With Leo DiCaprio.
0: And it was definitely Leo. You know, and so the idea of saying like, oh, here's you know, the plate that was on the Titanic that I own the digital version of, I think there's something that's really attractive there. And I just want to get your thoughts of the idea of you know, how we start to look at the idea of tokenizing the world around us. Is that something that you're paying attention to? Do you have any opinions on it?
1: I am paying a lot of attention to it. Like, obviously, I'm a professional in this. I'm in it all day, every day, just like you. I think that tokenizing some things and doing them right matters and proving that there are real use cases and there's real demand for this. Before getting into tokenizing everything, is how I think about it. It's like starting small and starting doable and starting with something that has consumer demand is a great idea. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me wanting to tokenize a piece of war art or something amazing. And a lot of times, you know, it sounds like a cool thing to do, but the biggest question is, like, why would consumers care about that? And like, why would they want to pay for it? I think there is the emotional tie that you're talking about. It's the same reason that, you know, people buy a star for Sam's birthday.
0: June 29th, by the way.
1: Yes. Okay. That'll be your birthday present. I have to tokenize it first. Um, But with the rest of our listeners, I think there's the emotional connection, but starting to tokenize a few things where there is clear demand. You know, one example I love, it didn't end up working out, but I thought it was really interesting was the constitution DAO. There was an actual like, you know, group of people who really cared about making that happen. We need a couple of those watershed moments in order for us to sort of normalize this idea of fractionalizing assets and then subsequently tokenizing
0: them. I'm really excited about how we can utilize tokenization for causes. And so while this, you know, I don't think this is a nonprofit. I think this is a group that is, you know, was created in order to continue the research on the Titanic. And again, I think people are very obsessed with the story. But I do think that it's easier to say, you know what, my $100 towards this, if it helps people go down into the ocean and discover more, is going to be worthwhile. And I get this cool thing that sort of says I'm part of the club of the Titanic. I think that is the win versus I think tokenizing, yeah, like every possible thing may not be the right way to go. I think it's something that we should watch. And I do think we are going to see a ton of people talking about tokenizing real world assets later on this year and into next year. Just It's an area that I think is going to be growing.
1: I think where it'll grow is things that people can't get access to unless it's through this mechanism. That's what's really going to be that forcing function to drive that consumer behavior because it is a new thing.
0: I think you know that's exactly why people, I think, will get it, right? It's the only way you can be part of the Titanic club. Okay, final. Our friends over at DraftKings, we had met on the podcast, I think number one, or no number two, go back and listen to it if you want, but Matt Kalish from DraftKings, they just announced that they are doing the PGA Tour as a fantasy golf game. In the same way that they run an amazing Rainmakers, which is an amazing fantasy football tokenized ecosystem, fantasy feels to me like the most relevant use case one can think of. Right, you get to buy a golfer, you set some stats, and then you compete against other folks by setting, you know, your brackets. You know, is there any better use case for the blockchain than fantasy sports?
1: I think it's such a natural fit, and it's the reason that you know, from Matt Kalish, who's the president of DraftKings and co-founder down, they've really made this a priority. They have a whole team dedicated to this. They're leveraging their partnerships. They're leveraging their ambassadors. They're putting a lot into this. And I think it's a perfect use case. I love it. I love to see, you know, DraftKings continuing to innovate in this space and bring in new partnerships. Rainmakers has had a whole host of partnerships, both with sort of Web3 natives and more traditional folks like, you know, whether it's Kevin Hart or the Players Association or now PGA, I think this might be one of the biggest ones yet. And what I also love about this is it's such an innate behavior to people who are already on DraftKings because they understand gaming, they understand sports betting, they understand the sort of skill that goes into picking. And I think there's a natural crossover between that and sort of like, you know, blockchain-based assets. So I'm really excited to see the PGA thing. And I know PGA has been probably approached a million and one times to do collabs. So I am excited to see how this one takes off. I think golf is an underappreciated sport in America, but one that a lot of people love.
0: 100%. They're also offering millions of dollars in prize money.
1: Oh yeah, people play with real money there.
0: Yeah, and talk about people who love money, it's the NFT audience. So they're definitely gonna be paying attention. After our break, Avery, we have Angelique Vendette, who is the CMO of Aloe Yoga. I think it was yesterday you were decked head to toe in Alo Yoga when we were chatting. She hooked me up. <laughs> this is going to be a great conversation. Alo, to me, is a very innovative brand under Angelique, who has been pushing them into immersive worlds like Roblox that we'll talk about, NFTs, membership collections. And I think she's just a wonderful thinker that I know both you and I respect so much. So really excited to hear from Angelique after the break.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Calling all early stage crypto, blockchain and web3 startups, teams and builders. Apply to CoinDesk PitchFest, powered by Google Cloud and pitch live on stage at Consensus in Austin this April. Winners will receive two VIP Piranha passes to Consensus 2024, featured coverage on CoinDesk and an invitation to present at CoinDesk's Private Investor Summit Ideas 2023. Learn more and apply at consensus.coindesk.com slash pitchfest. Angelique, I'm so excited to have you join us today on Generation C. I'm a big fan of everything that you've been building with Aloe. I know you're a passionate advocate for the Web3 space and a marketing queen. So I was really honored that you took the time to join us today can you share a little bit with our audience around you and how you got interested in this world of Web3?
2: Well, hi, first and foremost, everyone. I'm Angelique Vendette. I'm the CMO and head of marketing in Web3 here at Yoga. I am super passionate about a few things about fashion, about wellness and about innovation. And so my journey into Web3 really started out of curiosity, as most folks in the space. For someone who has always been at the intersection of innovation within my marketing career, Web3 felt like the next frontier. And in 2016, I discovered Bitcoin, (laughs) like many of us. And that was quite early on. There was nothing very serious. It was really just testing and kind of understanding what this new kind of alt currency was. And It wasn't until a few years later that I fully understood the power of community within the space and how many folks just like me had been as curious and had been testing and developing really intricate tools and projects around blockchain. And so started really getting more involved in 2020. And this is when the surgence of, you know, PFP projects started coming up within the NFT space. And I had been watching that space for a while, getting really involved in community, but not necessarily joining a specific project as a collector or investor myself till July of 2021 when World of Women launched. And that's finally when I was like, wow, there's a project for me out here. And so let me dive in, let me invest and let me collect. Hence my PFP journey really, really took off. And in December of 2021, the project took off as well. Started really investing my time and efforts in other female led projects in the artist space and PFP space, and have not looked back ever since. Simultaneously, you know, we talk about Web3, but I had always also been really interested on the gaming front of things. And at the same space, although not Web3, metaverses were popping up left, right, and center in the Web 2.0 space, but also 2.5, right? and Following both paths, there was this convergence of, oh my gosh, wow, now we have metaverse spaces that are web 3.0. And what will that do for brands? What will that do for economies? What will that do for artists and creators? So passion really took off and brought that passion to Aloe Yoga.
1: <laughs> That's so cool. And I know you've you know, been an entrepreneur and you've also been in corporate America, which is a sort of a rare hybrid breed. I love what you just mentioned around your passion for both sort of gaming and metaverse and the NFT space coming together. You know, at Vayner, we probably have the most expansive definition of Web3 as, you know, being the next iteration of connected consumer behavior that's driven by a digital first consumer reality that, you know, can include things that are blockchain based, can include advanced computing, like, you know, how consumers can sort of shift AI and can also include these immersive experiences like what you see in the metaverse. How would you define Web3, at least in the context of how you're thinking about it at Allo?
2: You know, I think our definitions are very, very similar, Avery, in the sense that Web3 at its core is democratization of the internet, right? It's enabling via tooling, via securities, via a whole bunch of different things, just us as users and giving us more access and more liberty and choice in our decision making and how we navigate the web. And so to your point, it's much more than just crypto. It's much more than metaverses. It's much more than just typical blockchain. That does include virtual reality. That does include AI. And so I think our definitions are very, very similar in that regard. And at Allo, we see it the same way. It's pushing the boundaries as to how we connect with our community on the web, right? In these digital spheres, how we connect with them and how we leverage technologies in which they're empowered. And they're just as much a part of building this relationship together with us, because community is at the core of what we do at ALO, and that ports itself very well to the way that we view Web3.
0: Angelique, you couldn't not hear about the experience that you guys built in Roblox, I think it was last year and into this year, the Sanctuary. And... Clearly, Roblox is, you know, a game changer, 50 plus million people every day in it. I know it skews on the younger side as well. And I'm sort of interested in, because as a brand that has been truly experimenting in these sort of immersive worlds, you know, what was your thought processing going into it and what were your learnings coming out of it?
2: Yeah, Um, thought process going into it was wanting to create a space in a metaverse that Truly can convey who we were as a brand, where you can live and breathe the brand values, not jump into a space where we were limited by you know platform technology or we were limited by the way we could show up, truly create a space of our own that felt like you were entering the world of alum and in a conversation with Christina, SVP of Partnerships over at Roblox, we literally met up for smoothies one day here in l a and We're just talking about the need for bringing mental health and mindfulness into the metaverses and how there was such a wonderful kind of white space, specifically on Roblox at the time, where we could bring folks together of all generations. This was at a time where the fastest growing demographic on Roblox was 17 to 24. And we wanted to make sure that we could be there for that age range, including age ranges below and above within Roblox to be able to get a space that was safe and comfortable for them to tune into themselves by tuning out of the world, yes, in the metaverse, by practicing meditation, by practicing yoga, by practicing breath work. And that thought process really brought us to build. In close, close collaboration with Roblox, our aloe sanctuary island that you see today, the KPIs really, Sam, were not around, you know, how many users are going to come in and how many millions of folks are going to be Playing in our experience or anything like that, very, very dissimilar to what we've seen other brands do. We really wanted to come in with a KPI of, hey, if one individual comes in and can live and breathe the brand and understand who we are and be introduced to us as its first touch point, but really come out of it, you know, wanting to invest in their wellness and their mindfulness, and that was a win. And then that deck was 10 individuals, and I think we landed there, right? There was 10. We had floated 100, but we we're like, no, no, it's 10. And now, you know, 66 million people later who have done yoga and meditation with us. We, it's truly been meaningful.
0: You know, I was early in trying the space only because I was really disinterested in what it meant for Allah to be there. And one of the things I felt was it was very intentional, but also it was very slow, and which was, I think was a reward in some respects because so much of gaming worlds are running around, collect this, do this. And then I just remember like, you no, know, I have to unroll the mat and then I have to like do the minute of like, let me get centered and do the breath work. And I just, I thought to myself how much that was such a change in behavior for folks in spaces where they are used to being kind of their attention is distracted all over the place. And I just wondered, how much did you guys want to say, let's create something uniquely different in the space? And clearly it seems to have paid off.
2: Yeah, so much. And thanks for noticing that. It was a concerted effort in, again, creating something that felt true to who we were and The goal coming out of it, like I mentioned, if you were going to live and breathe the brand and come out of it, understanding that you can spend time on your mindfulness and your wellness, we had to make sure that we blocked out the noise, that we blocked out what we were seeing other platforms doing. And of course, this was a risk, (laughs) right? Because there isn't any other kind of experience that is like that, at least from the brand front. And putting in that concerted effort and making sure that this was the direction we were going in was something magical that we dreamed up knowing that it would feel right. And again, if it was that one to 10 people that were like, wow, I've been running around and all these other activations, I've been jumping through hoops, I've been like bombarded with these colors and these flying bugs and all these things can come into our space and take a breath, be like, okay, I can sit, I can roll out my mat, I can close my eyes as my avatar is closing their eyes and I can do a two minute meditation and that helps me get on with my day.
1: I love that so much. And I think that Aloe has, you know, from an industry perspective, really belied trends in a lot of different directions, right? Like you're coming into a really crowded space of activewear where there's a lot of like leading incumbents. And you all have really differentiated your marketing everything from the influencer strategy being very different, being very authentic, not use of celebrity. I mean, I see Selena Gomez rocking her Aloe, but that's not what's on your Instagram. What's on your Instagram is like real people practicing yoga, wearing your clothes, practicing mindfulness, which I, you know, I've always really appreciated that. And then seeing the Web3 strategy as multidimensional has also helped you all stand out so much in light of sort of what other pure set brands are doing or even other fashion brands. You said a lot of them are very focused on this commercialization. They're very focused on like, you know, high end scarcity, a lot happening, maximalism, I would say. And then Aloe has kind of taken this tack, you know, from the outside perspective of being really considered of how you're approaching this and participating as well as a brand. So 66 million is massive. And I know Roblox frequently touts that as like one of the biggest successes that they've seen on the platform. And I think it was a success because it was so anchored in your brand truth. And it continues to be a success as well, right? Like I always tell my brand partners, it's like launching an Instagram page. It's not like, you know, doing a stunt. Like you have to continue being there and developing it to really maximize the potential. But on the flip side, we also saw, you know, the work that you've done for the Aspen Collection, which is not as large of a scale, but I think is a significant depth. Can you share a little bit about your work with the Aspen Collection and how that ties into the Web3 strategy more broadly
2: at Allo? Yes, of course. And thank you for all of that. It's been a labor of love, (laughs) but a really fun one at that. In terms of the Aspen collection, we launched our first luxury collection in September at New York Fashion Week. So September of fall 22. So just a few months ago. And with this luxury collection, we wanted to make sure that there was an equivalent luxurious digital experience that came with it. So we're talking about a collection where we showed at New York Fashion Week. It was on model, right? This beautiful kind of showroom experience, as you would see with any other high-end designer. And although we are, of course, in the athleisure and wellness space, this still runs you to who we are because we're studio to street. You can wear us at the gym, in the studio, but definitely wear us outside as well because it's trend forward and it just looks great. <laughs> and... With this Aspen collection, in launching, we announced our partnership with MoonPay, with HyperMint. We knew that by creating a digital experience that matched, first and foremost, it would be in the form of a digital certificate of authenticity. And that would validate that this very limited edition, capsule collection at this, you know, higher price point. We're talking not even like 2 to 3x, we're talking 10x on certain items because of the materials like in cashmere and whatnot. Just beautiful, beautiful build. And we wanted to make sure that that digital experience matched what you were receiving in real life, that physical, tangible good. And so in partnering with HyperMint and MoonPay launched this beautiful digital, I guess, digital certificate of authenticity that rings true. This is limited edition, maybe one of 100 or one of 200 or one of 50, depending on what the item was. That also, furthermore, yes, digital good where you have this beautiful rotating 3D depiction and digital asset of the item you bought IRL, but it also unlocks benefits. It's the first foray into the start of what you know a loyalty reward program can look like for us at Allo. And so you can redeem access to our Allo Wellness Clubs, which are very exclusive kind of gyms that we have in a few different areas where you do personal training or yoga or infrared saunas or cold punches, cryo, massages, you name it, V12 shots. And this gives users and buyers of the Aspen Collection access to our wellness clubs. It also gives those same individuals access to our aloe houses. So aloe houses, again, on the experiential marketing front, and back to what you were sharing earlier, Avery, about how we kind of tackle marketing overall and not specifically just in Web3, we are very, very experiential and Owl House is a big part of that. So this gives buyers of the Aspen Collection access to it as well, which is invite only, similar to our wellness club. And lastly, access to our personal client manager for personal shopping, early access, limited edition access that other clients just won't have access to. So it's been a wonderful peer to the beautiful, tangible, physical product that you receive. It does feel like a step up from a digital experience that in the past or for other collections might be our e-com navigation or our social commerce.
0: Angelique, how much did you have to change your backend processes? Like, I think a lot about the fact that you have a sort of pipeline of how product gets to people. And I think Web3 seems always really attractive because it's like, oh, we get to sell these things at high price points and I think luxury is such a great lane for it because I think that audience does value collecting and status. But, you know, we've seen some issues and hurdles with other folks doing sort of real-world products in exchange for. So I'm just wondering, you know, did you segment a separate team that was focused on this or did you like reimagine your business processes? Like how have you been thinking about integrating it so you can actually deliver on this promise?
2: The way that we thought about it was putting the consumer first, right? I as a marketer and I think this is where it lends itself well, is when you have you know, your head of marketing that is so, so passionate about Web3 on her spare time or is really engraved in different communities. You understand how Web3 and how the consumer come together seamlessly. None of this DGEN language, none of um, you know, the speculative aspects of certain projects that we're seeing out there wanted to create value right away. <laughs> and with the purchase of the luxury collection, it didn't matter if you were not Web3 onboarded yet. What mattered is that, wow, great, via email, similarly as how you check out online, you're now unlocking access to these incredible things. In terms of process, to answer your question directly, Sam, we have a strong, young, dynamic Web3 team of one at Allo. <laughs> and you're speaking with her, right? And of course, that takes a lot of influence and assurity in the plans that I'm proposing and a lot of communication, a lot of onboarding and education within the organization, within my own team, within you know my leadership structure. I report directly to our CEO, but building that trust and having a clear vision that is brand right, but consumer first at its core has been the shining light for us. Not trying to hop on a hype train over here, not trying to bring in speculative value for the resale of something else. This is you're buying a luxury item. And I will give you a luxury digital experience at the same time that just so happens to be in Web3. And you can check out Without Barriers on email via HyperMint, MoonPay's platform. And you can engage with us on this microsite that unlocks access where you can book an appointment at our wellness club, book time with us in one of our worldwide aloe houses. You know, all these things felt very seamless and very elevated to the consumer without being glaringly Web3 and none of the like connector metamask and then jump through these five hoops. It's the same approach to the approach we took with Roblox. It's simplicity and going back to the core of who we are, but also who the client is.
1: And Angelique, how do you think about balancing the sort of scale of these different initiatives, right? Because it's a lot of work pulling these programs off as you know, a super team of one there's a lot that goes into this from a compliance perspective, from a marketing planning perspective, from an integration perspective. You're making it look easy, but I know it isn't to, you know, connect these different consumer touch points. How do you think about planning for the consumers, what the consumer wants today and then what they want tomorrow? Because I think, you know, your strategy is multidimensional in this way that it works for today, but it really can work for tomorrow. How do you balance that?
2: You know, I think setting up the business for success in a future mind state is at the core of this roadmap and of this strategy. It's how do we set ourselves up for five years from now? As an example, the way that we started at Allo, we are a brand-led company, but we are a social-first brand. So we are a social company. And we started off being, you know, what some folks would like to call an Instagram brand. Although we definitely, you know, are very, very smart in our e-com, have brick and mortar and yoga sanctuaries throughout the world now but started there. And it's the same thing that I'm seeing for Web3. You know, If we're not building a roadmap right now, then we're not securing our future. And we're not going to reach the consumer where they're at in three, five, 10 years. So these are the building stones and the foundational pieces for what's to come.
0: I wonder if I can pose a hypothesis, because I think what you're saying is a really important lesson for people listening you come out of innovation, you know, you are an innovator. I think that you guys have used technology, whether it's social, whether it's immersive, whether it's Web3, in ways that are still just super serving your consumer versus, I think, letting the technology be the buzz thing or the innovation. And I just wonder, is that sort of, you know, an approach to take, which is deliberate in the sense of, yes, we're utilizing innovation as a creative driver, but let's not let innovation be the thing. Let's always let Aloe be the thing.
2: Yes, always let Aloe be the thing. Of course, you know, in my real job, no, I'm kidding, but in my day job as the CMO of Aloe, right, this component of innovation and Web3 is just one very small component as to how I lead and guide the brand. It's certainly a very important part of what we do, but it's not the only thing that we do. And having Aloe and the brand at the core of the campaigns we launch, how we go to market, how we speak with our community, that's the through line. And in practice, I am not a marketer who is a fan of tactic and PR stunts, right? That is just not who I am. This is very strategic. It's building out a roadmap. It's building out foundation and building out value that really drives what we do. And so if I were hopping on these hype trains, we might right now be creating collections made out of AI, right? Using MidJourney or Dolly or writing copy with ChatGPT. And I would be on that train trying to get us you know a PR press release saying "Alo first to do X." That's really not how I approach marketing, not a tactic player and not looking someone for like an ephemeral high that is not substantive or doesn't have value or bring value and that's the same way I approach technology and innovation. It truly has to have the consumer at its core and my community at its core, and if they're seeing something coming out of it, if they are you know engaging with us for Aloe Moves and that's where you do your HIIT training before work or you're looking for a clean and green skin care collection for body or face and you come to our Aloe Glow system or if you want to look cute because you are having a bad day and you want to wear this to dinner with girlfriends and that's all part of your wellness journey on different points and very, very different and I can keep going, right? Then that's the right thing. And so same thing in the paid space, you know, spray and fray where you're like, let me reach the whole world and I want to sell to the whole world. That's just not ever going to build brand on the long term. And I'm here to make Aloe a household name.
1: Well, what a mic drop moment. So thank you for that. (laughs) I'm sure Allo is thinking about AI. I love what you just mentioned there around not being on the hype train, but really fo- folding everything into that multidimensional strategy that you all have to make Allo a household name. And you know, you have a fan in me. I actually live very close to an Allo store in Miami, which I okay. love. I go in there all the time. That is wellness, right? But I want to say a huge thank you to you for taking the time to share your insights and share your journey as a marketer and an entrepreneur and a builder in the Web3 space and also help make this a little bit more accessible for some of our listeners who are marketers who might be, you know, curious but not ready to jump in. I think you've written a great playbook about how to stay true to your brand while embracing this next wave of connected consumer behavior. Well, thank you
2: for that. I so appreciate it. Thank you both for having me today. It's been so wonderful chatting.
0: <laughs> Angelique, thank you so much. We'll see you soon.
2: See you soon. Bye, Bye guys. Thank you.
0: Bing. Avery, Angelique, Aloe, other things that start with A. A team. What did you think?
1: You know, really great to hear Angelique's perspective. I think on this podcast, we focused a lot on blockchain-based programming. And I think in this, we sort of got into this new dimension of a broader Web3 play. And, you know, 66 million people participating in that Roblox experience is no joke. To marketers, those numbers matter. And I think we'll start to hear more and more of Web3 strategies that start to include branch into gaming, branch into virtual worlds, but are still anchored to these sort of core principles of immersive, ownable, personalized experiences for consumers. I also, you know, deep marketer at heart, I love being consumer centric and consumer first. She's not trying to force fit a new behavior, but rather create a new sanctuary that's a brand extension in this next, you know, era of the internet, which I think is really smart. And I think a lot of people will get some good takeaways from this episode. What did you think, Sam?
0: I love talking to Angelique. I think she is a really, really smart marketer. I think, as we talked about with her, that she doesn't let innovation get in the way of customer experience, I think is a lesson I wish people talked about. I love that she kind of called out AI and said, at least for us, we understand that AI is today a press release, but yet hasn't found its way into our core business, which is not to say it won't, but I think that it's at least taking a kind of modest approach in it. And the final thing was, you know, and I mentioned this to her, you know, the idea that video games, are sometimes so gamey that we forget that they're also just immersive environments where you can be slow, you can be intentional, you can just sit and breathe. And maybe it actually helps you get into a meditative state, which I thought hers, especially for a younger audience, you know, the sort of 10, 13, 17, like those kids need to slow down. Sometimes they're kind of running a hundred miles an hour. And I liked that her experience was one that was sort of expressively about focusing on self and, and centering. I'm very interested to see how the membership project goes because I do think Alo is a wonderfully experiential brand and the fact that you get access to some of those experiences, I think is valuable. And I think people will sort of pay attention and want to play because of that.
1: Couldn't agree more.
0: All right, with that guys, Thank you so much for listening. As always, let us know in the DMs, wherever you can find us, comments, thoughts, folks you want to hear. We are very excited to continue to do this show and provide insight for you. This is a special week, double episode this week. So look out on Wednesday for a special one all around the concept of live events, ticketing and access. So until then, we'll see you soon.
1: Take care.